All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Jello alongside Connor Neville of RT Sport Online. We're also joined by Stephen Elliott and Graham Gartland. What we're going to be doing today is reviewing Ireland's UEFA Nations League campaign and also looking back at Ireland under 21's defeat in Ascoli against Italy. Although at least the good thing with them is there is still a second chance via the playoffs to get to a first ever European Championship. So we're going to start off with Ireland seniors naturally getting the 1-1 draw in Woodge last night but before we do that Connor Neville you are once more overexposed on our channels and uh, yes. we, when, once we talk about the under 21s uh, I think people will probably understand why seeing as you made an impromptu appearance on the TV. Well there were, there were, there were so few people at the game unfortunately that, that was always likely unfortunately against Montenegro um, yeah I think it was only in the region of 3,000 there so yeah after Will Smallbone's goal the uh, the cameraman there zoomed in on some eye candy, understandably, and I, I appeared, obviously. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think there was an issue with tickets, though, because uh, we were in this behind the goal in the South Stand or uh, in Tala, and I believe that was uh, the only place where tickets were available. So that may have caused some of the, the issues around poor attendance. Hopefully that's ironed out by the time they, the playoffs come around. Yeah, but anyway, we're not going to stop with the overexposure anyway. But the uh, starting off, as we said, with the Ireland seniors, 1-1 draw against Ukraine in Woods last night. Let's listen to Stephen Kenny first before we delve into the matters over the entire campaign. Player, the back three were brilliant, I thought, tonight. They were very good and uh, they gave us a great platform. Um, you know, having taken the lead, we wanted to go on and win it. Uh, I'd have to see the goal. We can see it again. Looked like we were a bit wide open. We shouldn't have been... Um, you know, it's not a goal we should have conceded. I think uh, we we had a lot of play and we had better areas in the pitch than they had, I felt. They, you know, they, they were a threat on the left wing you know, when the underlaps of Mudrich, she's very quick. Uh, but we defended our box fine. Didn't really have clear-cut chances. Um, from our point of view, uh, we had a lot a lot of the ball and a lot of sort of shots from... But I'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed we didn't go and win it, but Ukraine are... A, quality team like they are real quality quality players um you know i can't really the players attitude is brilliant always always excellent can't praise them high enough we're just a bit kicking ourselves that we haven't got more points this week you've spoken though of a, a radical shift and it, it's, it's clear to to see now the the amount of players that are putting their hands up that players who were perhaps on the fringe the likes of Darrell Linehan comes in and plays as well as that. And then Nathan Collins has established himself, not just with the goal, but with his performance over four games. Yeah, Nathan has been really, really good. Um, you know, his decision-making is excellent. And uh, his all-round game is really, you know, he was he was definitely uh, exceptional over the four games. We have, you know, attacking players, obviously Michael, of the family played the weekend, Adam Ida, has to come back in. So we, we have a lot of uh, more options now and other players and we need that competition for places going forward you know and that's what we need and uh, we need that level of uh, going to raise the standard you know we want to, we want to work harder to raise the standard well it was a good performance i do feel we can be much better again and um and i i you know i want us to be and i have a desire for us to be and um just a bit frustrated that we couldn't even be better and win that game um but I couldn't fault the player. Players were brilliant, and uh, it's just something that we have to uh, we have to continue to get to improve. 
All right, so that is Stephen Kenny speaking to Tony O'Donoghue and Woods last night. Um, Stephen Elliott, I think in terms of the overriding emotion, and he said it there himself. You know, they're kicking themselves that they haven't they haven't got more points in this window so far. Does it feel almost to you that it's like a microcosm of the last World Cup qualifying campaign? A terrible start, but then you know they start to show exactly what they're capable of, and it's just frustrating that it has to come too late. Yeah, I think so. I think if you look at the first two games, obviously the Armenian game was a real disappointment because you'd look at Armenia and think that's kind of, listen, there's no guarantees in football, especially international football. But if you look at that, that the kind of Armenian fixtures and things, there are six points that we should be getting. So to lose to them was, was, a, was a terrible start to kind of this window. And to be fair, the, the team and the management staff took a bit of criticism for that and obviously went out against Ukraine again. And again, it wasn't a great performance against Ukraine. Lost that game one nil, albeit like I don't think it was as bad a performance as Armenia. But from Saturday onwards, I think you can't fault you can't fault the setup, the the way the team set up, the players, the performances. I think I think both both games were outstanding, especially last night. Even though we drew the game, I really enjoyed the game last night. There was so much positive kind of aspects of the game. I think Stephen kind of alluded to him there. Nathan Collins for me was absolutely outstanding. There was a little bit of worry before the game, obviously with Egan and um, Duffy missing. That you're thinking, well, how how are we going to fare? And the kind of back three, who was going to play in that centre role? Whether will it be Lennon coming in where he has played before, or whether it um, being Collins? But Collins kept played in, and do you know what? If anything, I think I'm not saying Duffy shouldn't come back in and be players, but to have Collins in the centre of that kind of area, I think it suited him a little bit more because he was he's able to step out and anticipate balls and he's willing to play a little bit more, which kind of helps Ireland on the turnover. And I think that was a that was a big thing for me last night. And obviously the goal he got last night, I think I said to you all fair, if, if any any attacking player of any nation scored a goal like that, we'd be raving about it for years. But we really was outstanding and, and it really bodes well for the future. And I do agree with Stephen. I think Nathan Collins, he, he kind of come away from these four games with with kind of huge pats on the back. And I think his club will be probably looking at him now thinking maybe he may want to cash in on him. But who knows? But no, yeah, there was, there was plenty of, away from Collins as well, there was plenty of good performances. And I think we've got to take each game as we can. I know, listen, you can look back in the first two games, but we've got to move forward. And coming off the last two games, I think we're in a really positive mindset. And I think the, the, the management team and the players will be looking forward to September and the, the couple of games then. Yeah, we'll play a clip of Collins very shortly and also we'll uh, we'll talk about the goal in a little bit more detail. But Graham, uh, the takeaway tactically and something we've talked about in the podcast over the last two or three weeks, is it very clear now that Ireland, if they're going to if they're going to continue with the back three, there has to be three in midfield? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think it gives them more uh, solidity. I think the worrying bit for me, um, I've said it before previously, was when when you only play with two in midfield, we look a bit vulnerable about 40 yards from goal that the spaces for the two midfielders to try and cover is just a little bit too much. And they've been pulled apart a little bit at times in games. And you see that with a lot of shots from distance from them areas that have gone in, um, which we probably shouldn't be giving up them shots. Um, I, th- I thought what Ireland, <coughs> Ireland done really well in the, in the last two games specifically was... They pressed really high, but as soon as the press didn't work, their recovery runs were so much better than they were previously. So if a team did get out against them, like Scotland or, or Ukraine, the other night, the lads' recovery runs were so much better to allow them. So they pressed high. If the press didn't work, and it's not always going to work, they got they got back into a really good shape and their distances were a lot better. And that's where I 100% agree with Stephen on this, with, with the Nathan Collins one and the Duffy one. 
I think Duffy just drops. You get to an age as a centre-back where you're probably worried about the spacing behind you a little bit more. And maybe it's the the youth the youth side of Collins or maybe it's the bravado side of a young centre-back thinking, now I'll go in there, I'm OK, because I have enough recovery pace to get back in. And that allows us to squeeze up the game. And you've seen that with, I think he had nicked in a few times before that, and then that's that's where it leads to the goal. But if the press is working really high, it's great. You get chances like that. But I thought actually when they dropped and got back into shape, they defended a lot better than they had previously in other games. And I think the distances were a lot better in the last two games. But again, we needed to probably start like that against Armenia. We needed to start, we needed to be probably have a better defensive shape against Ukraine in the home game as well. Yeah, let's listen to Nathan Collins. He was also speaking to Tony O'Donoghue afterwards. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know. And it's, it was annoying. If it was the last minute, it'd be great because we could have got a win. But I took a draw and it's kind of frustrating. I, we, uh, I got rid of the goal if we would have won. That's the main thing. But we took a draw. They're a good team and we know where we are as a team as well. I'm not going to let you get away without talking about the goal a bit more, though, because it was very special. I mean, to go past three players, inside, outside, and then finish on the, the outside of the right foot. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, honestly. I enjoy, I just enjoy playing football. I like to have a bit of fun with it. And I've seen an opportunity, stepped in with it. That is going to make your reputation internationally. All right, listen, it is, it is. I'm here, I want to be in here for the long run. I want to be, I want to be the best player I can be. And I'll set high standards for myself. I want to be the best there is, and I want to keep improving. All right, so that is Nathan Collins talking about the goal, which I think he's playing down. In fairness, I think if we're going to say Michael Abafemi's goal is sort of like the Gabriel Batistuta variety, you know, that kind of thumping goal he scored against Manchester United or Arsenal, then uh, for Nathan Collins, it's certainly more of the Maradona Messi variety. Uh, we're going to start continue with the Argentinian team. Um, Stephen, you know, we were talking a bit off air about the goal. I mean, <laughs> just, that's, his, that's his first goal, senior goal for Ireland. I mean, to do it that way, you know, as we as we said, you know, he's a, he's physically a strong lad, kind of of the Shane Duffy variety in the box, you'd you'd imagine, and you'd think it's going to be a you know a set piece goal, but to do it like that and in the circumstances, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it was. I think everybody enjoyed that goal last night when he kind of stepped in and picked up the ball. You're thinking, yeah, go on, have a run, then he kind of skipped by two of them without really doing anything, just strided by them, and then the little chop at the end actually. I know he just sent the half, but he reminded me of like kind of a point pass of Vieira. Literally, Vieira used to kind of just run past defenders as if he weren't there. And obviously, Vieira liked to use the outside of his foot when he played, but now it's a tremendous goal. And I'm, I'm sure, obviously, like he's, he's speaking to it quite soon after kind of the event. But it's one goal that he'll always look back on, especially being his fourth international goal. But he, he, seem, he seems a kind of a, a very level headed character. He, he wants to improve. and plays with a smile on his face even there in his interview he's full of smiles he probably doesn't realise what's just happened kind of it's it was probably surreal from at this moment but no it was, it was an absolutely fantastic goal and again we've seen two goals over in the in the past two games that like we, we talked about Ireland not scoring many goals but we've scored two of the best goals you're going to see in a long time in international football in the past two games and hopefully it's, it's going to continue and there's more to come uh, Raf, I was just, we've had Maradona, we've had Patrick Vieira reference there. Uh, it reminded me a bit the goal of a video, a black and white video uh, I saw once of Franz Beckenbauer in the 1966 World Cup. While we're getting carried away, I might just get carried away with it. I mean, charging forward from the back, powerful and elegant, shimmy and by players. It was fantastic. I'd just be interested to ask the lads, Graham and Stephen, bearing in mind the depth now that seems to be, there's an abundance of depth in the defence. Um, if, if everyone was fit, and obviously that's a rare event, who who would you be looking at as your preferred uh, 
back three if all the options were available? Yeah, I think Collins has to play. I, I don't, whatever you fear him in, I think he has to play. I, I think the, the value of having Collins as your central one it is it allows your other your left side of centre back and your right side of centre back to slide out into wide areas quicker because they know they have a lot of pace inside them to help. So what happens is your full back or your wing backs can now engage a little bit higher and engage the full back. The this the left side of centre back can slide out and you know Collins is on the way over and he has that recovery pace that helps. And I think sometimes with Duffy, I can see him sort of and you do this as a centre-back, you sort of try and protect yourself and you pull people in and it, it stops maybe the distances become a little bit too much and teams get a little bit more time on the ball than they should. So for me, Collins has to play. I thought Lennon done really well last night. I, I agreed with Stephen as well. Even I think he I think he dives in up high up the pitch and gives away a foul. And I thought, well, he's right to give away a foul. You know, can't not stop you breaking on him. I've always really liked that O'Shea. I've seen him come through as a young kid. He's from Temple Oak. Um, and then he went to Kevin's and I, I remember watching him play thinking really good player and he done really well considering he's playing off his left side but he's, he's quite calm on the ball and if you are going to play three at the back you need lads that are going to step in and play with the football um, it's great options to have I, th I think O'Shea and Collins have to play whether Egan comes in for O'Shea or Egan goes right side of centre back and Coleman's in but I, I, I'd have no problem saying I'd, I'd rather play Collins as the middle one than Duffy. I'd, I'd have no problem saying that here. I'm on that one. Listen, listen, I think Shane Duffy, I'm not writing them off here or anything. No, no same. No, I, I just think if you if you look at the game, even on Saturday a few times, the Scotland game, when we're trying to play up in the back and it's gone into Duffy, it doesn't look naturally comfortable. And if that's the way Stephen wants to play, listen, you can't do that all the time. If, if a team has a good squeeze and you've got to kind of play the percentages at time. But if you want to do that at some stages, I think... Collins looks a little bit more natural on the ball. And I think if, if I go back to when Stephen Force came in, he wasn't really having Duffy, he wasn't playing Duffy. And it was kind of, he was kind of trying to kind of filter him out. But then obviously he required him again when results weren't going well and he brought him back in. So maybe Stephen Kenny's going to come away from that and think, you know what, maybe I've kind of, with injuries and, and what have you, we found Collins in there and we, he's found his centre on. I, I think Nathan Collins, I think he's he's automatic. He's forced pick, hands down. I, I genuinely think he's a he's a future Ireland kind of captain. I think he's going to go on to play in the Premier League. He's going to improve. He's going to captain a team in the Premier League and he's going to become Ireland captain. And I know that's a, that's a little bit, maybe people are probably saying, yeah, you're jumping the gun. It's only been one window. But I watch him, watch him play even in the Premier League this season and he's never looked out of place. And, and what he does have as well, like Ray mentioned there, he's got that pace. Pace is massive in today's game. The forwards know that a centre half has a bit of pace, and they're very, the less likely kind of to try and take. But even a few times last night, the Ukrainian forwards, he kind of got them in a little one v one v one situation, and he, he was cleverly moved his feet. He didn't dive in, and and players were, were kind of the Ukrainian attackers didn't really want to go on the outside because they probably knew he hadn't got the legs on him. So for me, he's come away as as Ireland's kind of main player, main kind of centre half after after this. The other two places, I, I think Egan still is. Has probably got a little bit to offer. Obviously, Darrell Shea. Listen, we've got good options. We've got really good options there. And listen, injuries and suspensions will be picked up in the in the campaigns. But I think for me, Collins is the number one pick now. I think the way he played, and, and not just last night, and not just his goal, the way he kind of his overall playing, the way he kind of organised and he led from the back. I think I think was massive. And I think Stephen Kenny's got got a real kind of player in his hands there, and Ireland do as well. And like I said, I, I wouldn't surprise me to see him go on and captain his country in, in the future. And comes, it comes from a it comes from a really good like he's, he's he's a football family, and you can see that the people around them have 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 geared him up for this 
success really well. And that's the biggest thing. And Stephen was probably similar than Stephen played for Ireland Young, forced onto the scene, was flying. And how you handle that success when a force comes is massive as a young player. And with this, like Stephen's saying, his stock is going to go through the roof at the minute. But he has got, Eamon Collins his uncle, really good football and background that they're able to say, listen, this is the start of this. And, and it's a, it's about, it's important that you keep focused and keep going and keep building on, on the platform that you've just given yourself, and especially over these four games. Yeah, and Graham, just on, um, you, you were talking about the composure at the back that Collins has and also O'Shea. Do you think Andrew Amabamadele kind of complements them as well? He's kind of been forgotten, obviously, because of the injury, but he's probably likely to be back by the time September comes with Norwich. And then, you know, we've seen... And he just seen, signed the new deal with Norwich as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we, we've seen that he's very composed on the ball as well. And he has something about him. Yeah, and again, you're, international games can be... Like, we, we talk about pressing from the front a lot, but... International games and most football games, they're really good at a lot of things. And if the press doesn't work at the top and teams drop off, then their centre-backs are going to have the ball a lot. And sometimes teams, like we've seen that in the Armenia game where your back three end up with most of the ball. So you're going to need players that are able to punch passes through. And he's one that, again, I think against Serbia, he was outstanding. So I... I know he can play right back as well, which which lends him to playing in them sort of outside uh, centre back positions because there there is times when you go to a back three that your your right side left centre back have to slide out and be comfortable in wide areas and that's where uh, I'm I'm a Dele, I want to get the name of a right but um, he he's the one that needs to slide out and be able to defend in those one v one positions in uh, wide areas and that's where I, I do feel he's comfortable. We're not writing off the older players here. Coleman's been absolutely unbelievable. What a pro, what a captain he is for Ireland. But it's great to have them people underneath them that he doesn't feel the full weight of it all the time, that it's constantly on on these lads to, to perform. And when you have the young lads coming through like this, it just bodes well for Ireland defensively, I think. Yeah, and a final point on the defence. Uh, Stephen, in regards to um, Collins and his future, obviously... The second half of the season, he worked his way into the Burnley team once Ben Mee got an injury, acquitted himself really well. He's shown, and also at international level, that he's a Premier League player. Um, obviously, Burnley relegated back to the Championship. Vincent Company's taken over as manager. What do you think, and us being selfish, I guess, and just looking at it from an Irish point of view, what do you want to see happen in regards to him this summer? It's it's a it's a difficult it's going to be a difficult one for him. Obviously, you look at Burnley's situation as being kind of highlighted that they're they're struggling a little bit financially. So they may be looking at him and thinking he's a player that we can kind of cash in. I know he's not there long, but especially with his stock so high at the moment and doing 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 well in the Premier League, playing well in these international games, you're thinking will they kind of cash in on him? Because I'm listen, he's proven he's can play in the Premier League. Me personally, I I think he's able to play in the Premier League. I think he's he's ready to go and play in the Premier League regularly, and I think that will help him develop as a player playing up against the top players week in, week out. But on the other hand, you've got Vincent Company there at, um, at Burnley as a, as a manager now, probably one of the best centre-backs ever to play in the Premier League, if not the best, and a, a true leader and, and somebody that he probably could learn a, a hell of a lot of. So he, he might have a, few, a bit of a decision to make or it might be taken out of his hands. It depends on the situation Burnley are really financially in. But either way, I think he's either going to play for Burnley regularly under under a top, well, a, a top centre-half manager he can improve on but me I would like to see him get a move to the Premier League and play week in week out because as I said watching him play over the last kind of four or five months and then obviously in these international games I think he's ready for that step up and 
I think he's a leader. He's a he's a he just comes across as a leader of a man. I don't know whether he speaks loads. You can't really hear too much when you're watching the games, but the way he plays, you can just tell that players are going to look up to him going forward. And like I say, as long as he kind of keeps his head right, I know he's from from a good background and stuff. I'm sure that that won't be a problem. But now I think he's he's got a really bright future. But me personally, I'd love to see him in the Premier League. And what sort of club actually? Just out of interest, if it is in the Premier League. Well, you, you, you're kind of looking at you're looking at the likes of kind of a Crystal Palace or, or teams in and around there, like somebody that can kind of go in and like where he's. I don't see any of the top top teams taking him. Possibly Everton. Everton. Yeah, I was thinking Everton year. as well. They need a centre back, yeah. yeah. And like the way the way he plays, they've they've conceded a lot of goals yeah. as well. So. Teams like that that want to play, I'm sure Frank Lampard will want to kind of get his team playing a nice kind of brand of football and he'll he'll fit the bill there. But listen, I'm sure there's there's a lot of Premier League clubs fully aware of what, what Collins has done over the over the past few months and obviously in this window. So I'm sure he won't be short of suitors, but it'll be an interesting few weeks. I'm sure he'll go away on holiday, the boy, and, and, and enjoy his break, a fully deserved break. But we'll see what happens. Um, maybe Eamon will be walking behind the scenes from you, don't yeah. know. Burnley, Burnley have lost two centre backs, haven't they? And uh, me and uh, Tardowski have left on a free contract. So you only have Collins and another lad left. So you might be in a position. Might no, be in a position to sell him. All depends on whether Burnley need yeah. to really sell because Correct. they are they're in debt. So you're thinking, how can they kind of bring a little bit of that kind of debt away from the club? And I don't know what price wise what you're talking. He'd be worth now, but if you're looking at some of the some of the kind of prices that players are going for now, you you could probably Borne you could get a big chunk of money for him now, and maybe they may want to just cash in. But again, who knows? I said if he does stay up, one, he won't be the end of the works. He has a, he'll have a he'll have a great kind of guy to kind of learn from there if, if that that is the case. So we move to the opposite end of the pitch. I mean, Troy Parrish was a big. Um boom the last two games and we, we've seen him before for Ireland when he was breaking through he looked a bit slight and sometimes a bit of a passenger particularly when he was playing wide of a front three but playing in a two he looked very impressive I thought he was very impressive last night now he should have scored in the first half but his link play was quite good and he was good at holding up the ball and his touch looked good I mean I think him developing into a sort of reliable source of goals I mean I don't want to compare him to Robbie Keane yet but the, the possibility of that is is a real long-term boost for Ireland if that, if that could happen. I, I probably feel he's different to Keane in that he doesn't play on the shoulder, but I, I agree. I think he has to play centrally because he, he, he stays more involved in the game and he's involved. He gets little touches and links and some play, players like uh, Troy Parrott need to stay involved in, in, in the match as much as they can, even just for concentration levels. But it reminds me, uh, watching him last night and he comes off and links the game he's really good at it his touches are good and that's where he, he, I can see him like a sort of a Terry Sheringham type of player that he's really good at dropping in he gets plays on the half turn he plays balls wide and he makes the box and it might be a late run that he can that he can come on and score where you've seen the um, the goal he scores against Scotland where he's the, he's involved a little bit in the build up and then he runs off his shoulder because the, he, he recognises that there's a gap that because he's not going to Unless he catches it by surprise, his pace isn't going to get out, get him away from you. So he's, he's, it's his cleverness that needs to, and his movement. And then when he when he naturally fills out and he becomes better at holding the ball up and he, he better with his back to goal. But I see him as that player that can drop in and play. Like like I said, the, the Sheringham team popped into my head. And I know he works a lot with Kane. Uh, he's obviously a spores, does a lot with Harry Kane. But that type of player that can come in and link the game but arrives onto the ball because his technique is wonderful from striking. But... 
Stephen would know more. I'm sure Stephen would like to play with somebody like him because Stephen would be the type of fella that wanted to run off his type of the passes that he's playing through. So he'd be he'd be able to give a better rundown of it from a striker's point of view. No, I, listen, I, I agree. I think I think Troy Parra, the last, the last, not only the last four games, I think in, in recent internationals, even the Lithuania game when he popped up in the what was in the 96 minute and scored that winner out of nowhere. He's got that in the locker, but I, I actually think he, I, I, I think he kind of can play in the shoulder as well, though, to be honest. I'm watching some of the movements he made, he was making last night at times, like on that kind of shoulder, and he made a few runs a few times that was, especially later on in the game when uh, Hurahan and Hender came on. He made a couple of runs where I felt, you know, if somebody could just get the head up and slide him in, he's in and goal here. And I do, I don't think he's like lightning quick, but I don't think he's slow. I think he can kind of, when he carries the ball, he, he always seems to get away. But I really, really like him. I think there was a lot of hype about him, obviously, over the past three, four years, about him going on and, and being the next Robbie Keane. And that's probably a little bit unfair. And because, listen, Robbie Keane was a superstar and we're never, we're, we're probably not going to get many Robbie Keanes if we're ever going to get somebody like him again. But I think he's his own player and I think he's, he's developing his own game. And he's he's had a full season now playing Matt Mann's football and that's done in the world of good. I, seem, I think we've seen that benefit in a, in a green short and how well he's kind of come on and, I think I agree with Graham. I think when he fills out even a little bit more, he's going to become better because again he's he's still quite slight and listen, you have to walk hard and that's something that he will do. He walks he walks his socks off, but he's learning to pick up free kicks now as well. He's getting his body in positions where he's taking he's taking a hit off defender. He's being clever. He's buying time for his team and. I honestly, I, I I really think that he should. I know Obafemi come in like and burst onto the with his goal on Saturday against Scotland. But I think Troy Parrott, he's got to play in in every game for me. I think the way he plays, I think he links her up like like Graham says, he's very clever at dropping off a little bit like Teddy Sheringham esque. But I, I think he's got a little bit more. I'm not saying he's he's going to be as good as Teddy Sheringham because he was he obviously played at the top level, won Premier League trophies, uh, Champions League. But Troy is still very young, and I think he's got a little bit more to his game all round than maybe maybe a Sheringham. But he really really excites me. Troy, the way it's just he, he reminds me of kind of a bit of a street footballer. A few times he kind of he get a half a yard even last night and. I think in time he'll, he'll make better decisions on his final pass, but that's going to come to him. And I think St- Stephen Kenny has, has done really well with him, the way he's kind of filtered them in and out of the team. And now I, I think for me going forward now, I think if Ireland have a strongest 11, he's the name Parrot's got to be in it. Yeah. And if we're talking about like a sharing him and then, you know, well, is it like a Shearer as the strike partner or Andy Cole on the pitch? Obviously, I think we all know the Sheringham Andy Cole story off the pitch. But um, in regards, if we're going to go with that direction, Parrot's definitely in as the sort of Sheringham. You know, there's a lot of options there. Obviously, Michael Abafemi, uh, Stephen Kenny always noticeably talks up Adam Ida. And we saw Scott Hogan, who played 56 minutes, probably didn't have the best of games. And they're not the only options. You've got Bene uh, as well. Stephen, like what way would you go um, in terms of who the right strike partner for him is for Ireland? Well, listen, it, it all depends on form, I think, uh, Raph. Like if, if players are in form and they're playing well at the club, like, and, and they're coming into the camp sharp, then, the same will probably go for try as well. But like obviously if players are coming in sharp, I think you, you Stephen will be looking at players in training and and seeing who he thinks can affect the games. I don't think anybody, maybe Obafemi after the after the weekend, probably for a little bit of a, a real marker down says, Listen, I want to play, I want to be picked. But other than other than that, I think there's nobody's really going out there and grab hold. If he's going to play two players in, in them front two positions, then at this moment in time, you, you'd probably have to say try para and Obafemi because of the way they linked up so well. And we hadn't seen any many um, 
forwards play like that together for Ireland in recent times. But even even the first goal against Scotland when when we, we tried to play out in the back a couple of times and we nearly conceded and then we went quite long for the old school style straight up the parry was flicked it down to Obafemi and he's he's continued his run. I, for me that was an unbelievable goal. Like uh, that really pleased me because I, I know everybody talks about this new way of playing through the lines. And listen, there's a there's a place for sometimes when it's not on uh, mentioned earlier on, you've got to play that percentage. And if you have good players, you get the bodies in good positions. And I think Troy, he's not obviously, he's not small, but he's not huge. He was able to get his body in a position where he's able to win that force header and then go again. And that's what he, he, he gives me. I think he was hungry. He looks hungry to play. He looks hungry to score. And he, I think there's a lot of players in the Ireland in the Ireland squad now that are like that. And I think we've got to give kind of Stephen Kenny credit for that. I know Maybe there's a couple of them that have been brought into the kind of the setup a little bit too soon, but it's not going to do them any harm. I might have done Stephen a little bit harm early doors in his tenure, but it's not going to do Ireland any harm going forward. And I think now you see lads coming in, they're young, but they look confident, they look like international players. And as I said, the more they play and the more they play with that smile on their face, then then it can only mean good things. And I, I, it was good that we came away like with, with the two results because uh, if we hadn't picked up them results, God knows what people would have been saying after after this kind of international break. But now there's there's definitely there's definitely a lot of positives there. Even when you cover the midfield, like the, the three lads that have been playing in midfield, Cullen, uh, Malembi and, and Knight, I just think there's a good little chemistry building between them. And uh, as I said, we're not we're not going to saying that Henrik's not going to play more Horahan or players like that. Alan Brown, if he comes in a little bit more inside, which I think he's more suited to playing. There's plenty of options there for Stephen. And again, we just need to get, we need to get a consistency. And obviously, Stephen, we talk about these players, but we do need to have a kind of strong, strongest kind of 12-14 players that you think like these are my kind of go-to men. And obviously, if they pick up injuries, we need players, squad players that can come in and do a job. But, no, I think I think um, I think it's been a very 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 pleasing window. Like after such a terrible start, I think we've got to look forward now with, with positivity, and and I'm sure that players have gone away on holiday happy now instead of kind of thinking about oh we've got the whole country like kind of speaking about how poor he was. Instead, it's it's the opposite, and it's it can kind of I'm sure Stephen as well can enjoy his, his summer a little bit more as well. Yeah, you tweeted actually recently that, uh, and Troy Power, and this kind of fits in with the Nathan Collins thing, but just for different reasons, he's probably going to go out on loan from Tottenham, but you were looking at Sunderland as the perfect club for him in the Championship. Yeah, well, that's probably me, because I want Sunderland to do well, and I'd like to <laughs> watch him play. But no, I just think he's obviously had that full season at League One, and I think he's a better player now than League One. I think he can go, and I think he can go. I know people say he didn't score loads of goals in League One, but the way he plays, he was always involved in goals, and he started to score a few more towards the end of the season. Some really good goals as well, some high-quality goals. Um, even in the playoffs, some of the goals he was scoring are very good. But I just think it, it, for him to kind of keep improving, he needs to kind of move himself up a level. And I think somewhere like Sunderland, I know Sunderland need a couple of couple of strikers. They've got Ross Stewart there at the moment, but he could do it a little bit of help in there. Like, um, I think a Troy Parra came to, came to Sunderland. He, I think he'd embrace playing for a club like that. I think obviously the, the, the big crowds, the atmosphere at the games and kind of that kind of feeling of like doing well there I think he's thrive on it he looks like the type of player that thrives on kind of playing on the big occasion and I think it could be a really good move I, I, said, I don't know who his agent is or whether he's he's kind of what his situation is but I do think he needs to be playing a higher level than League One for, for our for Ireland's sake I would say about uh, the Ukraine game last night I mean that is the type of game Ireland have tended to play well in under Kenny already I mean if you go back even to the I was thinking the Hungary game uh, last year before the Euros, even the Slovakia game very early in Kenny's reign, they, they do seem to play well away from home against these 
these sides. But one thing I notice is for years, Ireland, whenever they scored a goal, particularly in the trap era, the O'Neill era, that was the cue for some of our worst football. You know, we'd get a goal and then we'd fall into a shell and then hope nothing happened for the rest of the game. Whereas Stephen Kenny's team seemed to be the complete opposite. Goals seemed to give them oxygen. I mean, I was at the two home games and the Ukraine game, they started really well. The goal didn't arrive. And then after 25 minutes, the fizz went out of it. Whereas against Scotland, we shunt home this goal. Shane Duffy gets to the back post. Alan Brown scores a slightly uh, ugly goal. I don't think it'll threaten the goal of the season competition with all the, uh, the others around. But, you know, that seemed to set Ireland on their way and it changed the whole vibe of the team. Is there a thing where Ireland need to be more resilient when, when they don't score? They need to be more mindful of staying in games because they seem to curdle when, when they have a surge and they don't score. I, I, I agree with that. I, I think they need to be more resilient but patient as well. That they know that like we, what, right, it hasn't come so relax here a little bit. We can't keep forcing it or getting frustrated. I think there's a frustration kicks in and these, these, it comes a little bit rushed. Um, I also feel then that when when see football changes every ten minutes in a game where we we pressed really high against Ukraine in the home game and it worked. We stopped them getting out a couple of times. We got a couple of uh, chances in our transitions, especially high up, and didn't take them. And then Ukraine changed and went right. We we've adapted to how you play, and that's where I feel Ireland need to adapt a little bit better in game. So that when a team recognises right, this is this is where their space is. I think Ukraine started playing around corners a little bit quicker. Midfield started dropping out into areas and pulling Ireland's midfield out. Ireland needed to adapt a little bit quicker to to, to like you said remain in the game. And I, that's where I felt the the changes with the Scotland game and the Ukraine game. This that's where I was most impressed was that again when the press didn't work our recovery runs were a lot more orchestrated and a lot better to get us back into shape against Scotland. We played out a couple of times. It didn't work right. We're going to clip the next one. And when you do that a couple of times, what happens is the Scotland midfielders have to turn around and run back towards their own goal. So the next time you go to play out, you might stay and that gives your midfield a little bit more time. So I, I do think the frustration kicks in if we don't score early, but I think there's a patience needs to come in. And I also think there's a bit more game understanding in the game, but, that's a hard thing to get when you're, you have young players because they're going out with the instructions that this is how we're going to play and it's hard for them to adapt in the game sometimes. And that's why like the likes of Coleman are still so important as well. And um, the midfield, like Cullen's done a great job but having an experienced player in midfield to say to even Parrot, just drop in here with me for a little second and play beside Knight and that way we have a block of four that we can't play through. So I think them things would help but like obviously after the Armenia game and then the Ukraine game, we're all disappointed. And the big that was the biggest thing I took from the two games is that we adapted in game a lot better in these two games. And and those moments where it led the goals, we were able to press high, but we defended better in a, in a deep block as well. So, um, yeah, to be honest, I don't think any Irish teams have ever lacked resilience. I just think there's a bravery that when you're one nil up, you don't retreat, you don't drop into your shell. You think right, we're we're the team that have the advantage here. So we can either counter attack on you when you commit too many men forward, or we're going to try and drag you out because you need to get the ball off us to score. And once you drag them out, then you can go in and try and execute and score a goal. So um, I do think it needs a bit more maybe courage as well. I think resilience is there. I just think we need a bit more courage and a bit more bravery at times to go and finish games off. 
Yeah, and a final point on the seniors, uh, just the midfield area, as we saw Jason Malumbi make an impact twice, Graham. I mean, in the in the game against Scotland and then in, in Ukraine as well. And I know there's this kind of natural thing where people are, I suppose, supporters and, and you know, some people outside of that as well, always making a comparison to Jeff Hendrick and they're very different players and they offer different yeah. things. But um, is it a case maybe that with Malumbi as well, like he plays regularly for West Brom, as we've seen with Jeff Hendrick, the QPR hasn't had as much game time. Um, is that really the thing that you felt helped Malumbi um, as well as his kind of stylistic combative style, that that's what really helped him over those two last or last two games? Yeah, that's what, like, and that's what Stephen's saying. You're, you're picking players that are playing regularly to have their, have a sharpness about them, but even have a, their awareness of football is a big thing as a midfielder and that them split seconds when you're going to collect the ball. If you're playing regularly, that sharpness is a bit there. I've seen I've seen Malumbu play since he was a kid and he every game, every team he's played in, he brings energy to and he gets across the pitch and he covers ground. And I think that's helped Cullen because he has somebody that will do the work with him and the two of them offset really well and then Knight's able to run. And most midfields now in the modern game like it's all about your distances that you can cover across the pitch, and it's actually helped us defensively because them two areas in front of you, two, they, like you have a, when you have the two, the three centre backs, it's the space either side of them with, with your two sitters that need to cover that area. And I think he's actually come in and made us a lot more solid. And we were touching on the parrot one with, with Knight. When Knight makes runs in behind, the wants to be the one that gives legs and length to the game. Parrot can then drop in and be that top of the midfielder that just again you're. You're still more solid if, if if and when you do lose the ball, but that fluidity comes both offensively with the ball and defensively, and that's where in the last two games I think they've got it right. But Malumbu just brings energy, and do you know what? There's a lot to be said for having a natural enthusiasm to play football and run around and want to get the ball back. And people think, ah, oh, yeah, that's a given, but it's not. Like you know, a lot of midfielders go, no, I just want to play. We have it. These lads don't. These lads want to run around and get the ball back, and it's great to see. Yeah, most certainly. So Ireland will be back in action in September for the final games. They have to play Scotland away and then Armenia at home. There's also going to be a playoff for the Ireland under-21s. Um, Connor, you were over at the... Uh, well, I, you were spotted on oh, the I was, I was, I was in Dublin. Yeah, yeah, yeah as, as we know, and as you said at the top, you were spotted on TV in Tallaght Stadium for the Montenegro game. I wasn't um, in Ascoli, no, no. No, you weren't in Ascoli for the 4-1 defeat uh, yesterday evening. Now... Again, I mean, the, the feel-good factor after those two home games, I'm sure you felt it in the stadium in Tala, but then, of course, I don't think it's necessarily gone away because, obviously, Italy are a great team and they had already achieved the playoff place. No, I don't think it would take more to, to, to uh, remove the feel-good factor than losing yesterday. It was apparent early on, uh, I think, yesterday that the Italians were clearly of a higher calibre um, and Ireland were on the back foot. Even before, I mean, there's obviously some... Annoyance over the goals that were conceded. Um, I thought the Italians, um, they were pushing very hard anyway. And I, they, we saw that penalty incident. I mean, that arose, I think, seemed to arise from panic as much as anything else. McGuinness saw that Ockley, who was a superb um, deep-lying player for Italy, I mean, he saw him getting around the back and he panicked a bit. And then the second goal, uh, there's a question mark over whether Brian Marin goal had, uh, he had gone down with an ankle issue and he may have still been feeling the, feeling the effects of it because he appeared to, to wince when he went across and then was very disappointed. His head was in the turf after the, the ball went in, obviously. Um, yeah, it was, it was disappointing. Ireland cut a bit of a rally, I thought, in the second half after the third goal. 
which was the killer. I mean, that, that, that finished the contest or finished any Ireland's hopes of qualifying automatically. There was, so there was a bit of a rally there. Um, ultimately, it's been a very successful campaign, you'd have to say. I mean, given that they had a very wobbly start and you were inclined to write it off, but then the two wins over Sweden, um, I mean, they're, they're, they are what's, what's gotten Ireland into the playoffs. And given that there's so many under-21 players who players eligible for under-21 who aren't there, um, you know, this squad have done exceptionally well. Um, I thought Leo Connor was very good yesterday as well, you know, fullback. I mean, he he obviously played for the seniors uh, in a friendly late in 2019, I think against New Zealand. Yeah, New Zealand. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, he was he was superb. So I'd be interested to see his progress. Um, I thought he was very good. Um, and uh, yeah, they can look forward to the playoffs. I mean, you don't know what sort of team they'll get. Um, I'd imagine I'd imagine there's some there's some nifty ones out there, but it'll be it'll be an interesting spectacle. And hopefully they get a bigger crowd than, than they got for the Montenegro games and those ticket issues for Tala are sorted out. Yeah, Leo Connor, as you said, he spoke very well afterwards. Um, before we get your thoughts on the 21s, Stephen and Graham, let's listen to Jim Crawford, the head coach, who was speaking to Darren Frehel pitch side afterwards. Yeah, we knew it was going to be tough, and I've said all along that, you know, they were the best team by a stretch in the group, you know. So if you would have said to us at the very start of this whole campaign that we get a playoff place, we would have taken the hand off you. So we're happy with that. There's, there's loads to learn from that. That's the level we've got to get to. And you just don't give yourself a chance, with, you know, giving away a penalty from a set piece and then start a second half. Um, a lack of communication between players and you go 3-0 down and it's game over. It's game over. But look, we, we'll take loads from it as a group. Right. So that is Jim Crawford. Uh, fairly positive afterwards. I think kind of echoing what Connor is saying there about the fact that they still have a playoff to, to fall back on and the dream of going to a first European Championship is still very much alive. Graham, I guess, as he as Crawford outlined there, you know, you want to get a foothold in the game and they've been quite good at that in the home games in terms of getting control. But you can't really do that when you're sort of giving an incentive to the opposition with silly mistakes at the back. Yeah, I think when you like, if you looked in at the game and you didn't watch it, you probably think 4-1 away to Italy, it's not a great result. But when I watched the game yesterday, like you said, the individual errors, the penalty come from a panic. Yes, you, you, It happens as a centre-back. You think, oh, I've, I've been done here. He's on his way around the back. He could score. And you throw your arm out and put your body across. And I've, I've done it as a defender as well. So... Like you said, McGuinness will learn from that. I think, again, the, the goal just after half-time kills them uh, the, like right away. And that, that three individual errors, the fourth goal that Italy score is really good. Uh, Jim's put together a really good campaign this year. That I think that he only on the 21s to get to a playoff at this stage, which is which is fantastic considering, like you said, the players that are in with the force team. Um, it's an amazing job he's done. And I actually was really proud of them second half watching the game because I thought they kept trying to play. And we've seen before, we touched on it before, Ireland teams go 3-0 down and you don't get a touch of the ball and other teams are keeping it. Ireland kept going here and he kept trying to play the right way. And that that can only bode well for the future. Like, like you said, it's a development thing that these players are going through. But I think you pick them up quick enough. I think if he says to them, you cut out the individual errors, the game the game ends one all. At, at, now you never know what Italy are going to try and do if, if the game is on the line. Do they keep pushing? Um, so he, he needs to sort of reiterate that to the team that these are individual errors. These are things that 
happen in a one-off game. Italy away from home, like a, the record for the senior team and their 21s is unbelievable. It's always a tough place to go. So it was a, it was a tough call, tough ask for them to do. But if they can create the individual errors going into the playoff game, I think they have a great chance because, again, over two games, one, one being at home in Ireland, you, 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 fancy, you fancy them to win the home game especially. And Stephen, in terms of getting it out of the system and getting that defeat out of there, um, from your experience at international level, given that there's gaps of sometimes you know three months, obviously there's we're not we're, they're not playing again until September. Is it easy to get easier to get it out of the system than say at club level? I think I don't know. I think uh, I think with the twenty ones, you're probably looking at the the campaign as a whole. Obviously, losing the, the final game to Italy was a disappointment, but like Graham said, there it was always going to be a difficult task and. I think we're young lads, we young lads, which the 21s are, they're still learning. There's always going to be individual mistakes. That's a learning curve. And if you're going to learn, listen, I know it'd be great to qualify for the, for the, the, the competition. And I'm sure we, we'll have every chance. It depends on, obviously, I'm sure I look at the, some of the teams that we could be playing. I'm sure uh, Steve be looking at them and thinking, you know what, we can probably beat most of them teams. But I think overall, the campaign's been good. To beat Sweden twice, like, you're probably looking, when the, when the group is kind of, put out in front, you're probably saying, yeah, Italy are going to win the group. So you're, you're basically kind of looking for second place with Montenegro and Sweden, probably. So Ireland have come out on top. So I would probably come away from this group and say, it's been a huge success. You only have to, like Graham said there, look at the players that could still be playing for the 21s. And in a way, um, Jim's probably coursing uh, Stephen because he's thinking, you know what, he's, he's taking some of these players from me that you probably would have a bit more of a fighting chance to go and win the group. But ultimately, you play 21's football to get into the senior setup. So I think that's, it's trying to get the balance right of kind of bringing players up in the 21's that are going to actually go and have some game time at the senior team. But no, he's done a great job there. And as I said, he's still got a great opportunity to go and, and qualify for, our, for, for, a, for, a, for a tournament that we haven't qualified for. So no, it's exciting times. And like I said, there's, there's a lot of young players in the senior setup. Up. And obviously, some really good players, some really good showings over the over the window too, and the in the twenty one setup, and it only bodes well for the future. So, and we have a manager there now. It seems that is willing to kind of put his fate in the in the in the young players too. So, as I said, you can't put them all in at once, but who knows? The future seems definitely seems bright. We just need to get that consistency at, at both levels. Yeah, as you said, the step up. You know, in terms of what Stephen Kenny has a lot of. 21 eligible players in there um it actually works the other way as well obviously there's a lot of like say under 19s that would that have now been kind of brought forward and i mean evan ferguson sort of like a really really young lad and acquitted himself quite well in difficult conditions in ascoli like what have you made of him because we've seen a little bit of him for brighton in cup competitions particularly but uh he seems to have a very very bright future yeah, I think so. I think, he, like you say, he's got that little bit of experience with Brighton playing with Force Team. I'm sure he trains with the Force Team every day over there. And yeah, he's, he's going up the levels. He'll have his, I have no doubt he'll have his eye on playing in that senior setup at some stage. You look at other players kind of that have gone through up, on up through the levels. And obviously he came in and he quit himself really well. So he's another player that you have to be careful with these lads as well. Like, no, if we kind of pick them up too much, they might kind of, kind of disappoint. So we just got to get the balance right. I think that the the coaching setup both in the in the twenty ones and the senior setup understand that and and they, they protect the players really well. And no, it's 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 great that we're, we're producing these players. As I said, it's the more players we get playing at the top levels, and the better our senior international team is. And and that's that's ultimately the aim to get as a footballer. You want to go and play at the highest level possible because you, when you're playing at the higher levels, then you're going to be improve yourself as a player. And then obviously when you come into a group that maybe some players aren't playing as high, you're going to help them improve too. So 
you got to aim to get these players playing at the, the like like going back to the Nathan Collins situation. For me, he's got to be playing in the Premier League because he's he's capable of doing that. And I think if he goes and plays in the Premier League regularly, when he comes back into the setup, these young lads that come come up and kind of train with the senior setup will look at him and think, you know, there's a Premier League player, and they'll raise their standards. And it's all about standards and improving. And I think there's a there's a good format there now. And as I said, we've we've seen it in 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 the in the past, well, both with the twenty ones and the senior senior setup in the last two games that. We're going in the right direction. There'll be a few stumbling blocks, no doubt, along the way, but it looks like we are heading in the right direction. Yeah, and also on the international front, the women's national team squad to face Georgia on June 27th has also been named. Obviously, they're doing really well in the World Cup qualifying group, and uh, that game against Georgia is going to be live on RT2 and the RT player. The big news in that is Stephanie Roach has been recalled, um, former Sunderland player, but really uh, in great form on the goal-scoring front for uh, for P-Mount. So that squad, you can find the full squad on rte.ie slash sport. And also they have a friendly this Sunday against the Philippines and Turkey, which is going to be uh, a warm-up. So we're kind of looking forward to that. And we'll be building up to it over the next few weeks. But just before we get to domestic matters, here's Vera Pau discussing the squad selection and Stephanie Roach in particular. Well, we're very, very happy that we can um, start already now because the window starts on Monday. Um, but as you all know, probably the players stopped their competitive matches uh, from the 5th of May, some on the 8th of May, um, and only the Scottish players who played the, Scot the World Cup um, ended up on the 29th of May um, and Claire Warden on the 5th of June. So it's a very mixed up of, of uh, fitness for the players. Most of them um, could only do running programs and um, the, the players that could come to Ireland um, have trained with the Women's National League and with boys teams. So we are now ready to go to step into a very, very difficult uh, program because, as I said, we need to get them all on the same, same uh, level. Um, and therefore, we've slot in a game against Philippines. Um, that's a not-so-expected game. We could have um, chosen about 12 top countries, uh, but at this stage, um, where we are in our, um, uh, let's say, league, in our fitness, in our preparation, um, we needed a team that could get us ready for Georgia. Um, and Philippines came on our plate, uh, so we're very, very happy. Um, we have a few injuries, uh, that's Nona, um, but Stephanie is a target player, and we need to find out who's the best in that uh, condition, because Kira Carusa is not available, uh, and she was our first target player. On the domestic front, in terms of the League of Ireland, uh, Graham Waterford have named a head coach now with Danny Searle coming in. But in the you know over the last while since Ian Mar since they parted the ways with Ian Morris, I mean the form has been pretty good. Um, you know David Green and Gary Hunt, six games, six wins. Yeah, they've been flying. We were talking. I was talking about last week, saying like, do they maybe need to go out and get a new manager because this is the best form they've been on. Um, and I know Gary Hunt and Breen obviously know the club really well. And they brought in... The, the Watford seemed to just pluck these lads from the UK. That you, you, I think, where did they get him from? Mark Borcham last year. Um, before him, they got Kevin Sheedy in. Um, they've had some like strange sort of left-field appointments. And they pulled John Sheridan out somewhere as well. Um, and they've, it seems to be that this is their playbook. Like, so... Uh, I think the only he said senior experience are all the shot and, and Brantry Town. 
Um, all the shot was his last job, but he obviously has good underage with, with Chelsea, Charlton and West Ham. So it'd be interesting to see how he does and how well he adapts to the league. The, the first division is is, is a tough division. Um, Galway are flying and Cork are flying in. And, but we, I, I, I had fully expected Waterford maybe to be the team because I, I thought they were a little bit unlucky to go down last season. Um, again, what was done in the last couple of weeks before going into the playoff, I thought was a disgrace. Like where the second manager the, the day before a playoff game and he's in the crowds and it just became just such a, an am, just amateur hour down there at times. And it, it's frustrating where these people are meant to have the club's best interest at heart. You can't park it until they, they, they basically get through a couple of games. So be interesting to see how he does. Um, I, I think I've got a track record of sticking with managers neither. So uh, we'll see. It's just one of those you start to wait and see how it plays out. Yeah, they had looked. It's funny the... talking about Evan Evan Ferguson. I I actually played with Evan's dad, Barry. Oh, Barry yeah. played in the League of Ireland for years, really successful. So you can see that maturity that Evan has as well. That I think he played in the first team of Bowes when he was fifteen, and his his trajectory has been on the way up. But he has a maturity about him that he's able to handle it. So it was just I sort of felt old there when you're talking about him because I remember him being at one of the cup finals and I think it was 03 and 04. Evan was at the cup final when we won when we lifted the cup and there's pictures of him and Barry on the pitch. So sort of felt a bit old there when you were talking about playing for Ireland's first team. All all Lamford Town fans cherish Barry Ferguson and Graham Gartland. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't go that far now. Yeah, no, it does make you feel old, especially like when you're watching the uh, you know, the sons of footballing legends that are now kind of playing like obviously you think like or Justin Cliver, Patrick Clivert's son and the likes, yeah. and there's loads of other examples, and you kind of it does remind you just how old you're getting. Just on Waterford. Chiesa, Chiesa in the Euros was one. So yeah, yeah. There, I, I do recall someone saying, uh, I can't believe that lad's still playing, of course. No, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a, just a final thing on Waterford. Um, just in terms of you, you mentioned that they've kind of gone left field, often gone to the UK, Graham. In terms of picking up their next manager, they did look at Ian Ryan at Wexford, and then he decided to stay. But uh, Wexford have been going pretty well. Yeah, Ian's done really well. He's a really good coach. He's, he's got great mannerisms about me, and like he's the, probably the worst hair in football. But he's um, he's a great fella. Like, um, and I'm I'm not surprised he turns them down because, like you said. As a, as a young up-and-coming coach, you're putting your trust in these people that they're going to back you through some tough spells, are going to help you as best he can. And he goes and takes that job at Waterford after leaving Wexford. And where does he go from there if, if they decide to pull the plug on him? So I think managers are being a bit, young coaches are being clever in who they're working for now because you don't want to work for somebody who's erratic or, um, and has a way about that you can't really trust going in. So I think he probably made the best decision for what he felt was himself and his journey as a coach. Yeah, and there is action this weekend in the Premier Division and First Division. So just running through the fixtures here, Derry City against Drogheda on Friday, 7.45. Same time, Bohemians and Shelburne meet in the Dublin Derby. Dundalk play Shamrock Rovers, and that's a pretty big game as well. Dundalk in great form. And then St. Pat's UCD. And then on Sly- or on the Saturday, Sligo Rovers against Finn Harps, uh, kind of clash of the Northwest there. And then in the First Division, Cove Ramblers against Wexford. Bray Wanderers against Galway, Treaty United against Atlone, and then on Saturday, Longford Town against Cork City. Anton jumping out to you there, um, Graham, in terms of fixtures-wise that yeah, you're kind of looking out I, for? I, th- I think the Dundalk, one, the, the, the Dundalk Rovers game is massive now because um, Dundalk are, like, they're, what are these, eight points behind with a game in hand. So if they win that, 
if they win their if they if they beat Rovers and, and then they win their game in hand, they're up to forty points, you know. So that they go into two behind, and the home record has been fantastic this season. It's probably what's got them into second place. There, they need to get back on again. They've they've hit their slump, and they need to get through it. And you'd imagine they put in a lot of work in the last couple of weeks, and they're trying to maybe bring some bodies in. Bowes have, have strengthened with. He brought in Bork, and he brought in O'Sullivan. Um, not sure when they're able to play. So that the Dublin derby be massive between Bowes and Shells. Shells obviously lost to Rovers. Uh, on the 27th of May, but they were on a great run of form as well. So the Bows, uh, Bows against Shells will be a big one because it's Dublin Derby, but in terms of the league and, and the standings, Dundalk and Rovers is a big one because it'd be interested to see how do, Dundalk do a home against them. Uh, against Rovers at Tala, I thought they were a little bit too conservative. Um, so it'd be interested to see how they go uh, while, while they're at home against them. Dundalk are story of the season in some respects because there was a they had couple of bad years, there were a bit of disarray and they lost players in the off-season. Derry seemed to take back some of the star players, but they really have rallied under Stephen O'Donnell. He seems to be doing a superb job there. They've turned... They the have, I think he just came in and made them really solid and like again, a new owner comes in and they trust the management staff and they trust the people and it's football people making football decisions. I mean, you're working for somebody that has the best interest of the club at heart. You can go and just put the work in and I think that's what Stephen's done. He's gone and made them um, a lot harder to play against. I know it's probably the draws that have killed them, but that's the base they're trying to build off is that they're always in football matches and then they can try and nick them. The, the goalkeeper, Shepard, has been one of the best signings for them because last year I thought they struggled. I think they struggled with a goalkeeper since Gary Rogers retired. Um, Connolly's come in from Scotland, which which Stephen would know as well, and he's he's been good for them as well because Garland and Boyle are, are starting to pick up injuries and try to be consistent there. Um but the lad Bradley from Hibs has been really good for them. And he's been, he's been probably, him and Kelly have started to come alive and then they'll freeze up Hoban in the middle. So they have been really, really good. I think, like you said, from a solid platform. And if they can add some more attacking players in the lineup, especially through the midfield, they might, they might push Rovers close if they can win their games in hand. Yeah, and the draws have been made also for the qualifier rounds uh, where the Irish clubs are going to be involved in the Champions League and Europa Conference League. So Shamrock Rovers are going to be facing the Hibernians of Malta next month. And then in the Conference League, Bala Town of Wales playing against Sligo and Derry City up against Riga FC of Latvia. And St. Pat's will also be involved in the next round of the Conference League. So we're pretty much almost done. But um, a final point, uh, Stephen, obviously you're, you're based over in the UK. And while we were watching the Ukraine-Ireland game, England were getting hammered at, <laughs> at home by Hungary. Uh, what's the reaction been like there? I, I know there was a bit of booing in the stadium in Molyneux um, there last night and, you know, people sort of ludicrously kind of calling for Southgate's head, considering everything he's done for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah how, what's the reaction been like there? Probably everything you'd expect, Raph. Like, obviously, listen, I think there's already, there was already a few people that weren't too happy with Southgate thinking that England probably should have won some of these past couple of tournaments that they had a better manager in charge. So the fact that they've lost 4-0 at home to Hungary, you can only imagine. I was listening, I actually on the radio last night just for the crack to listen to some of the talk-ins because people do overreact a little bit here, as you probably know. But I still think it's it's one of them. Southgate deserves the opportunity to take the team to the World Cup. He's qualified for the World Cup, took the team to the semi-final and the final of the past too. So, listen, it's not been a great... You're talking about Ireland in, in this international window. England, it couldn't have been any worse for England. Like They've been really, really poor and obviously... The team selection as well that Gareth has been picking has been questioned massively. But 
as I said, I'm sure um, I'm sure he'd be given the job, the task of the of the World Cup. But listen, it's it's listen, I'm not an England fan, so I find it quite funny. But it's uh, now it's you, you you didn't. When I seen that result last, obviously I was watching the Ireland game. When I seen that four 0 I couldn't believe my eyes because you just think at home. I know it's at Molyneux, but for like if England lose a game, it's 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 mad enough risk. But they lose at home four 0 and obviously get a man sent off late on. It just sounds like the discipline went out the window and. From what I, hear, I know, a couple of people are at the game saying that the, the, the crowd's one proper toxic as well. So now I'm sure Southgate won't enjoy the next few weeks. He'd be, he'd be looking forward to hopefully playing his next games and trying to get a couple of wins back under his belt so we can kind of go into the World Cup on a, on a positive note. But now I just think, nah, listen, who really cares about them? Let's be honest. Yeah, it's, 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 it just goes, doesn't it, over there, Steve? Like it's like uh, everything it's, just. It's, when you international football, everybody kind of you're kind of in the firing line. Like everybody has to say, and everybody's entitled yeah. to say that. But well, there's there's kind of there's levels, and there's just there's no kind of in between over here. They read a horrendous. There's no round like okay, the team. It's just like the vultures. Like obviously it is, but it makes it makes for entertaining kind of TV watching and and. Re- Radio listening, but I'm sure that the lads in the England setup are professional enough to try and kind of turn things around because let's 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 be fair to them. They did they did qualify for a for a Euro yeah. final semi final. It's no mean feat, no matter who who the squad is. Both sets of fans who were here on Saturday will be chuffed with it anyway. There was so there was a lot of bonding between the Irish and Scottish fans over what I suppose the Sunday Independent would call immature, immature Anglophobic chanting. There was a degree of that going on. By the way, there was a huge Scottish contingent for that game on Saturday. So much so that the little shaved off end in the Aviva couldn't accommodate them all. There was a huge amount of Scottish. Fairness, like we, Steve, me and Steve both played in Scotland. And like when you're talking about a country that couldn't, couldn't care less about Anton outside of that country in terms of football, like I've, 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 I've touched on this loads of times. You open a Scottish paper, like you're 10 pages deep and then you get one page about the English Premiership and it could be something, just the results. They don't care. Yeah, the whole, radio, radio, all Scottish football, they mention, they laugh at England a little bit, like you said, with that result. But the whole thing is just based around Scottish football and, and that's it. You don't, and it doesn't surprise me. I went to a Scotland game in Hamden once and they just flood out from the Highlands. Like it's a massive thing. Sterling, the Highlands, they all flood out. The place that probably doesn't capture them is Glasgow itself. The, yeah. the Rangers fans don't go and the Celtic fans won't go, but everyone else from every other club will, will go to Scotland games. It's a massive, massive following. Yeah, there, there was a few Celtic jerseys there. You were kind of wondering who were they supporting. I'm not sure. But there was, there, was, there was a burst of booze when the Irish, fan, the Irish players went into a huddle, which I believe might be an anti-Celtic thing. I don't know. I, yeah, but I do remember... Been, yeah. I do remember Archie McPherson. I'll drop a name here. Telling me, telling me before the Euros that the Celtic and Rangers fans don't don't bother with Scotland at all, and it belongs to the rest of rest of the yeah. Scottish team. But I but I hope they had a good time in Dublin because you know for such a big crowd to come over for that performance. I'd say that broke going back. They seemed to have a good time anyway. You couldn't move for kilts in Dublin City. Yeah, so. no, the fans that are great. That they are that they're actually better. They're really good fans, the Scotland fans. I know when they, they support their own teams, they're raw. And like he, I play for St. Johnson, uh, Stephen played for Hearts, and they'll turn on you. Like, but the Scottish fans tend to get behind the national team and support them, and they've a, they've a great following. And similar to when Ireland go away, they want to represent their country really well, and they never let themselves down. And, and like coming over to Ireland is a great little trip for them down on the boat. And um, 
it was great to see them all over in fairness it was a great it looked like a great day out in town yeah and they're able to mark themselves out easily with the kilts as yeah. well like couldn't move left right or center without seeing a kilt in dublin uh, overall but obviously they're uh you know great bunch of fans as well always well behaved good crack a bit like our ones so um, yeah. but as but as, as as you all said you know england is not our problem so we can sit back and smile at that and we'll focus on ireland and the under 21s when september comes around but for today that is it. We'll be back next week with the next podcast. We're going to be start. We'll start looking ahead to the women's games against Georgia, and also, as I said, uh, there's a game against Philippines this Sunday as well as a warm up. So, Connor Neville, your overexposure is over. I'll, be I'll tell you again soon. I'm sure. I don't know. I don't we'll, know. Someone's, we'll, I'll be photo bomb. I'll photo some management or something. I think. Yeah, we'll, we look forward to that. And then Stephen and Graham, thanks a million for taking the time. Brilliant. Thanks. See you, lads.